Let's, be, let's live free. Y'all want to live free? He tells us to live free and then tells us to calm down. No. Um, it's not contradictory messages this morning. We're talking about sin. We have a problem. All of us have a problem. We were born with it. A lot of people get the idea that you're born right and then you mess up. But I want to make you feel good about yourself and tell you you were born messed up. You were born needing a Savior. You know, some people get the idea, you know, my mama wouldn't let me push my mush off my high chair and it warped my little psyche. You were born warped, okay? So we're born with a problem. We're born in sin. We're born cut off from God. And we need help. We need somebody to restore us. We need someone to redeem us. We need somebody to bring us back to God. There's only one person who can bring us back to God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he die? Why did he die? How does he forgive sin? You see, even though you're a Christian, you still battle sin. Even though you're a Christian, you still battle temptation. Even though you're a Christian, you still have to come to God and say, I need forgiveness for what I said, for what I did, for how I reacted. We all have to do that, even as Christians. But once we come to know Jesus, our relationship with sin is different. Our relationship with sin is, is one where it has no longer uh, has dominion over us. Do we struggle? Do we feel temptation? Do we sometimes stumble and fall? Yes, but no longer does it have dominion. And I want those of you who know Christ to know that God wants you to live free. He doesn't want you living under condemnation. And I talk to Christians all the time who are, who are condemned not only by the very act of doing something they shouldn't do, but Satan even uses temptation to condemn them. They sense temptation. They feel temptation. And the enemy tells them, uh, you, you shouldn't even be tempted. And he condemns them with temptation. But we have to remember that even our Lord was tempted. Even our Lord was tempted. You don't think in Luke chapter 4 that when he was offered that bread, you don't think the human part of Jesus wanted to reach out and take that bread or turn that stone into bread and eat that bread? Sure he did. But with every temptation that came, Jesus said, it is written. It is written. He had the word of God hidden in his heart. And so he spoke the word of God, and it is by the word of God that we have victory over sin. It is by what the word of God tells us, that there is a Savior called Jesus, the God-man who came, was born in Bethlehem, and lived perfectly, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead for us. There are four things about the death of the Lord Jesus that you need to understand. And we all know about the death of Jesus. We have a cross over here this morning, and... And we just, I asked the guys to put it up there because I, I want you to see that cross while I'm preaching. I want you to think about that cross while I'm preaching. The four things that we want to talk about, we've already talked about one of them last week, and that is the purpose of his death, the purpose of his sacrifice, the purpose of Jesus giving his life for us, and it was substitutionary, just that. He died for us. There is not a doctrinal statement that will ever mean more to you than the doctrinal statement that Jesus died a substitutionary death on the cross. He died for you. Now remember what I said last week. It's really important. Sin has to be dealt with. 
And the reason sin has to be, to be dealt with is because we serve a holy God. Now, here's what you need to understand. A lot of people don't get this. If our God is not a holy God, then his death on the cross meant nothing. He is a holy God. God cannot overlook sin. God cannot overlook one sin. God cannot overlook one half of one sin for all eternity because the moment God overlooks sin, he is no longer holy. He's no longer spotless. And we know from last week that the sacrifice that was offered for our sins had to be what? Spotless, without blemish. Now, since God can't overlook sin, Sin has a penalty. There is a price that has to be paid for sin. And here's what God did. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and then we go to the book of Romans from Genesis, and it tells us that by the sin of one man, Adam, sin has been passed down to how many? All men. So we're all born in need of a Savior. So when that happened, here's what God did. God loved us so much that he said in order to prepare... <laughs> A bridge, excuse me, in order to make a bridge so men can get back to me, I'm not going to send a prophet, I'm not going to send a man, I'm not going to send a, a great uh, uh, spiritual person because we have those all through the Bible. Samuel was a great man uh, in the Bible. We can read all through the scriptures and, and um, the prophets, great men, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all great men, but they were not holy in the sense that they were spotless. They were men who had that sin in them. They had to be uh, uh, redeemed by the, the Savior. Jesus did not need to be redeemed. Jesus was God in flesh. So God sent a sacrifice. God said, I've got to pay. I've got to provide a payment for the sin. Remember we talked last week about ransom. We were kidnapped in the Garden of Eden. We were being held against our will. And God paid a ransom. And the price that he paid was the life of his son. So Jesus died on the cross for you. Now, you have a choice. And I want you to understand me. You have a choice. And that choice is, do I accept Jesus do I accept what he did for me on the cross? Do I accept his resurrection from the grave? Do I accept that as my salvation? Because if you don't accept Jesus' payment for your sin, then you have to pay. Now, a lot of preachers don't preach on this anymore, and I know churches don't talk about this very much anymore, but the payment is eternity in hell. You say, gee whiz, that was harsh. It's just truth. So, so Jesus is here this morning. The, the Holy Spirit is in this house. God is speaking to you. The gospel is being preached. You're being presented with an, a clear opportunity. And I appreciate what somebody said to me last Sunday. They came up to me and said, Pastor, that was the simplest, clearest message on salvation and, and coming to God that I've ever heard. And that just blessed my heart because I want to make sure before you leave here that you understand. See, and I've said this many times, and, and, and I appreciate you letting me repeat things that are, that are just essential to, to who we are as a church. But, but see, one day you're going to stand before God, and the last excuse I want you to be able to give is, I went to church all my life, and my pastor never told me this. 
See, I'm telling you because I love you, and I want you to stand before God one day and say, I understood. My pastor preached, and I understood that either I could accept Jesus' payment for my sin, or I could pay for it. And so I accepted Jesus' payment. And when you say that, and and your name is in that Lamb's Book of Life, God is going to say, enter in, enter in. And I want you to hear that from God. I want you to enter in. Um, we we um, witness uh, here at the church, uh, the staff's witnessing all the time. People actually come by here during the week and they want to talk to us <clears throat> about God and, and talk to us about who the Lord is. The other Wednesday night, a, a, a gentleman, a wonderful gentleman came in my office with a couple members of his family and just committed his life to Christ on a Wednesday night in my office. I didn't even know you could do that. Did y'all? I thought it had to happen on Sunday morning. And he just came in my office. I mean, I was about to walk out the door and get in my car and go home and eat something because that's what I do when I leave churches. I go home and eat something. And, uh, and uh, his family member came and said, will, will you talk? And I said, yeah. And we went back there. And he was just, he had actually already been spending some time with God, but he just made that, that public commitment to Jesus, and his life's not been the same since. And see, he kind of had that teaching that a lot of us get where, you know, if you're good, if you're just really good, that at the end, God's going to weigh the good and the bad, and if you got more good than bad, then you get to go into heaven. Guys, I know, you say, Pastor, you preach this all the time. I know, but it is the religion of the world. This is the religion of the world. The religion of the world is you go to heaven by being good. Let me tell you something. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. The very best you can do isn't good enough. It's Jesus. That's why the man on the cross hanging beside Jesus could find salvation. He had no good works in his life, but he knew and understood his salvation was through Jesus. And so he understood who Jesus was and said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said what? Today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. No good works were in that man. It's by Jesus. So his death was substitutionary. Let's look at 1 Peter 3.18 and just look at this in the word of God because I want you to understand we're talking from the scriptures today. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, and really that, that just right there, I, I just believe anytime you're referring to God, it ought to be capitalized, that's just me. I mean, when I'm writing about God in my notes, my sermon notes, and uh, uh, when I put him and I'm talking about God, I, I make it a capital H, and I, I don't know if that's good grammar, but, but I, I, just, I, I just feel like it honors God. And uh, so when it says the just here, it's talking about who? Who's just? God, Jesus. Who's who's holy? Who's righteous? Who's pure? Who's spotless? Who's without blemish? Jesus. So the just is talking about suffering in the first part of that verse. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just one, and the just one is Jesus, for the what? Unjust one, and that's who? (laughs) Yeah, y'all look holy out there, though, I'm telling you. That he might bring us to God. So there's the reason. There's the reason. Why did the just die on the cross for the unjust? Right there it is in the Bible. That he might bring us to God. That's how you get to God. The cross. The cross is how you get to God. Look at the rest. Being put to death 
Jesus being put to death in the flesh, but made alive, resurrection, Easter, by the what? Holy Spirit. That's a capital S there, by the Holy Spirit. So the purpose of his sacrifice is that it was substitutionary. And the scripture is 1 Peter 3.18. Now let's go to what we want to talk about today, and I'll go through this quickly because i got a little something at the end I want to show you. The price of his sacrifice. The price. The price of his sacrifice was suffering. Suffering. Now I want to say something about suffering today, and, and let's look at it in 1 Peter 3.18 just so you see it clearly. For Christ also what? Suffered. Is that verse up there? Let's put that verse up there. For Christ, there it is. For Christ also what? Suffered. Once and he suffered for what? Sin. Our substitute. Who's our substitute? Suffered. Our substitute suffered. Our substitute, Jesus, suffered for. He wouldn't have suffered if it wasn't for this. But he had to suffer because of sin. And I want you to understand that sin brings suffering. Sin brings suffering. If you don't believe it, just decide today you're going to kind of run from God and see what happens. He loves you so much. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loves you so much that if you run from him, He will allow situations to come that will bring you back to him. Now, you can still run. I know people who run right against that. They just keep running. And you can certainly do that. Uh, A good illustration of that is Jonah. Jonah decided, I don't want to preach to these Ninevites. They they are, are barbarians. They killed my family. They killed my friends. I don't want to preach to these Ninevites. So I'm going to get a ticket, and I'm going to go... Uh, away from God's call in my life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to run from God. Now, the Bible says that the moment Jonah made that decision, he went down to Tarsus. He got on a boat. They're sailing in the water, and he goes down into the bottom of the boat and goes to sleep. Um, A storm arises. Looks like the boat's going to go under, so these guys uh, draw straws to see whose fault it is. Guess who got the short straw? Jonah. You say, really? They drew straws? Yeah, check it out in the Bible. And uh, I wouldn't suggest you use that method, but they did, and it worked. <laughs> so, so Jonah, they go down there and go, hey, Jonah, this ain't a cruise, dude. Wake up. So Jonah wakes up, and he tells them his story, and they go, yeah, you really are the problem. So they throw him over the side, and he goes, Down into the water. Now, when Jonah decided he was going to run from God, he went down to Tarsus, went down into the boat, threw him over the side, he went down into the water. How many of you know when you run from God, you go down, 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 down? You remember when Jesus was up on the cross, they said, if you're the son of God, come. Don't do God's will. Every time you do not do God's will, you are going, just saying. Jonah floats down into the water, and all of a sudden this big fish comes, swallows him. He goes down into the belly of the fish. Well, there ain't anything that'll make you want to get right with God more than being eaten by a fish. So somewhere in that fish's tummy, he found a 
altar. And he's cried out to God, I'm sorry. I want to come back. Fish started feeling nauseated. There's nothing that'll make a fish nauseous more than a backslidden preacher. (laughs) So the fish is feeling nauseous. He starts coming up, goes up to the shore and goes, yuck, nasty preacher. So Jonah comes up, (laughs) comes on to the shore. When you come back to God, when you repent, you start moving closer. You start coming up, up, up. So sin requires suffering. It requires it. So when you run from God and you get in a bunch of trouble, don't come to me going, I'm confused. Where is God? Amen? You have friends like that and family like that? Running from God, won't commit to God, won't sell out to God. But then when God allows something to come into their life to cause them to turn to him, a lot of times they get whiny and want to know where is God. Well, God's where he's always been. You're the one who moved. He's where where he's always been. So last week we said a holy God cannot overlook sin. Therefore, he requires a substitute before he can pardon sin. Today, what I want you to understand in this text, because it also teaches us that sin is not pardoned, your sin is not pardoned. Uh, If it's not pardoned, then you'll have to suffer for it. You say, well, how do I get my sin pardoned? Come to the cross. Come to the cross and God will pardon you. Pardon you. He will forgive you. He will wipe it off your slate. Now, I run into people once in a while who um, are very bold and very proud and very arrogant, and I've even had people say to me, well, you know, I'm not really sinning and I'm not really suffering. I got to tell you, when somebody says something like that or insinuates something like that to me, I kind of back up a little bit because I'm allergic to lightning. You know what I'm saying? And... uh, and they say, you know, I, I'm kind of doing my own thing, but, but I, don't, I don't really see what you're talking about. I, I want to tell you um, that judgment just hasn't come yet. But judgment's going to come. Sin requires it. Sin requires it. Um, in, and don't go there. Don't turn in your Bible where I'm about to tell you. Just write this down and read it when you get home. But Psalm 73, you guys who have been coming to the church, this church any length of time, you know that's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, one of my favorite passages, because it's a Christian who's ticked off. And I love that the Bible lets Christians get ticked off. But they never win. They always get kind of upset about something. They go, you know, man, I don't understand this. But they never win. This guy's ticked off because he's looking down the street, and he's seeing a guy who doesn't go to church. Uh, a guy who uh, re, you know, just doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe in the things of God. He even speaks against God. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 73, this Christian guy who's ticked off quotes this other guy and says, God, he's going around saying that you're not even in heaven. And if you are, you don't really have any power. And here I am, God, trying to serve you. Everything I touch breaks. Everything this guy touched turns to gold. How many of you, and don't you lie to me, how many of you, have felt like that before. Amen? We've all felt like that. I mean, he's looking down the street. He's going, this guy's got three chariots. I got a donkey. I mean, seriously. What's up with that? I'm trying to serve you. 
But here's what that guy does, and this is a real short version of that whole chapter. When he gets to verse 17, he says, you know what, God? I got away from you, and when I got away from you, I didn't see things right. How many of you know when you get away from God, you don't see stuff right? When you get away from God, you feel jealousy. When you get away from God, you feel envy. When you get away from God, you battle lust more. When you get away from God, you lower your standards. Amen, amen, amen. That's second service people I'm talking to, but let's work here some, all right? But when you come back to God, your perspective clears up. And this guy had gotten away from God, so he got to seeing things the wrong way. When he got back with God, the rest of chapter 73, he starts looking at where that guy's going and where he's going to go. And he says, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, guys, I assure you, no matter what it looks like around you, that sin will bring suffering. Let me show you a verse in the Bible, Proverbs 20, 17. And this is talking about if you were to steal food and you eat it. How many of you love good chocolate pie? I don't mean just chocolate pie because there's some bad chocolate pies. But I'm talking about grandma, homemade, good. Come on, amen, amen, amen. Um, That's, you know, just some good stuff. If you steal a piece of chocolate pie, you you used to put the uh, pies in the windows to cool off. Let's say they still did that, and you just kind of saw a pie in the window, and you just went and got that pie and brought it over to your house and ate it. Would it be good? Would it be good? Yes. Yes, it would be good. But because you stole it, that sin would bring suffering in your life. Look at this verse. Food gained by deceit is sweet. But afterward, his mouth will be filled with gravel. See, sin has to be dealt with. It has to be. Here's the good news I'm bringing you today. It's been dealt with. It's been dealt with. All you have to do, look at the love of God here. All you have to do is accept his payment for your sin. What love, what love. He was wounded. For what? He was bruised for. Transgression means sin. Iniquity means sin. Thank you, God, for that. There's a terrible, horrible, awful, agonizing penalty for sin. And that penalty is suffering. And Jesus bore it for you. He bore it for you. All the suffering that our Lord Jesus Christ went through, especially on the cross, was so that you could live free. Live free. God wants you to live free. He doesn't want you to live in bondage. But ladies and gentlemen, if you ignore him, if you ignore what he's offered you, you will not live free. I've got a video I want you to watch today. I don't usually do this. And you can cool believe when I use a video in the middle of my sermon, it is a good video. This is a good one. A preacher buddy of mine, um, Kevin Phillips. Y'all know Kevin? Anybody know Kevin? Kevin's, uh, he ain't right. He could be here this morning. I love preachers that are not quite right. And Kevin's one of them. I'm one. And uh, Kevin uh, sent me a video. He's always sending me cool stuff. And um, it's entitled The Gospel. And it flowed so well. When I watched this clip, it, I, t- I almost showed it last weekend, Easter weekend. 
But then I thought, you know, I think I'll, I'll wait till after Easter and show it today. It's an excerpt from a sermon by a guy named Eric Ludy. Now, if you want to get this for yourself on YouTube, it's Eric Ludy, put that in, the gospel, the gospel, Eric Ludy. And this will be the first video that comes up. Um, it just flows with this, it, uh, uh, this message about living free. Ellerslie Mission Society put this little clip together. It's powerful. It talks about how Jesus paid the price for you to be forgiven and for your sin to be dealt with and how that's only the beginning. See, a lot of people think, well, I want to hear the gospel so I can get saved, so I can go to heaven, then I'm through with the gospel. No, no, no. It's everything's about the gospel. Everything is about the gospel. Never, 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 ever think that the gospel is just something that brings you to Jesus and, and you get saved and then you go on to better things and bigger things. No, 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 no. Everything you get from God is because of that cross. Every blessing sanctification, growing in your holiness and in your purity, being filled with the Holy Spirit, every bit of that is by the cross, by the cross. People think that guys who preach the cross, uh, you know, the Baptists preach the cross, you know, Pentecostals preach the Spirit. No, it's all one message. It's all one message, and he talks about what God has for you and what God wants to do for you. So I want you to listen very carefully. And the, the music's pretty dramatic in this, and sometimes it kind of overrides the words a little bit. So pay close attention, because this is one of the most powerful video clips, honestly, I've ever seen in my life. It's done very well, and um, I want you to be blessed by it. So watch this. I am going to introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you were born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's going to relish every minute of it in strolls your intercessor your mighty man and he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours he takes the blow that was intended for you that is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it has always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, 
redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. Now I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, do you, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How, how could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You're saying, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you as his child. Me? Child? We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would, I would gladly serve you any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out and you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me the commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that is a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. 
Go and make disciples of all men. Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, hold it. Wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as the son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down. Because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs. Because his lambs beat the wolf packs. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that he is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I'm unashamed of it. Dear Lord Jesus, take what is rightfully yours. Don't just send us. Send us with yourself, firmly planted within our souls. We cannot do your work. We cannot bring you glory, even though we're willing to do it without you. Please, if you want to come with us, why in the world would we ever try on our own? You don't have to go on your own. You don't have to pull off the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. You can't love the lost. You can't love those that spit upon your face. He can. 
Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like he loves. Pray that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God. Let me tell you something that's a fact. Very few people want that much of God. Very few. Most people want just enough of God to get into heaven. As long as things are going well, they really don't need him. Things start going bad, then they need him, so they ask him to help. Things start going better. They just kind of go, I'm good now. Very few people want that much God. So I want you to ask yourself, in these last days we live in, how serious am I about God being Lord of my life and not just Savior? We all want him to save us. Where we struggle is, do we want him to really be our master? We want him to minister to us when we're hurting. We want him to guide us when we need to know what decision to make. But do we want him to be our master? Our master. Because, see, that's where the richest blessings are. That's where... He really reveals to you who he is. But see, we're afraid of what that means. We're afraid it means we're going to lose something. We're afraid it means we're going to have to give up something. We're afraid he's going to ask us to go to Africa. I remember when I was in school, I was a teenager. I wanted to be saved, but I didn't really want to go to Africa. So I wanted enough of Jesus to know I was a Christian, but I was afraid he was going to call me. Let me tell you about the will of God. It may not be the most pleasant place, but it's always the most peaceful place. That's why missionaries who go overseas and they send back pictures and you go, poor, poor mission, look what they have to... They're not happy anywhere else. They're not happy anywhere else. The will of God. 
pressing into God, being all God wants you to be. I gotta tell you something, God's dealing with me about it in my own life. My own life. And I've been asking myself recently, you know what I what do I sacrifice for God? I don't know how much I sacrifice. I mean, he really he sacrificed. Most people don't want this much God. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. We watch a video like that, and we're like, oh, man, yeah. Let's go to Bojangles. I mean, that's our next thought. We don't really carry it with us. Let's pray. I want to talk to two people today. I want to talk to the person who already knows Jesus, but you're holding back. You won't, you won't move forward. You got all of God you want. You don't really want any more God. You got all you want. Maybe you're a person who remembers a time in your life when you really walked closer to God. Do you remember a time in your life when you were really closer to God than you are this morning? Do you remember a time in your life when you really sensed his presence more than you do now, right now, today? Because if there's ever been a time in your life when you were closer to him than you are this morning, you've moved away from him. God hasn't moved. You've moved away. You've slidden back. But then there's some of you here today who've never even committed to Jesus. You've heard the gospel many times. You've, you've seen it in dramas. You've heard it in music. You've heard sermons, and you know what the gospel is, but you keep throwing up stuff like, well, you know, there's hypocrites in the church. Big deal. Nobody's asking you to join Whitley Church, and that's going to get you to heaven. Nobody's asking you to come up here and commit your life to Pharaoh Hardison. I can't save you and if you come to Whitley Church, you're going to find flaws in our church. You're going to find, you're going to find uh, things that don't look like God in this church. And if you get to know me very well, you're going to see flaws in my life. And failures in my life. Because I'm a man. We're not pointing you to our church. We're not pointing you to our pastor or our staff. We're pointing you to Jesus. We want you to commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Because, see, if you don't accept what he paid for your sins, then you've got to pay. And we don't want you to pay. Father, I pray over this congregation today. I pray over lukewarm Christians. Because, God, I get lukewarm. I'm not here judging anybody today. I get lukewarm. You have to shake up my world. And thank you for doing it. Doesn't feel good, but it sure re the results are great. But I pray over lukewarm Christians. I pray over Christians who, who got all of God they want. They don't want any more of God because they're afraid it might require something of them that that's really going to make their life miserable. I mean, the, the enemy has got them to buy into that. And God, we need to understand that in your presence is joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the, and the deeper we're in your presence, the greater the joy. So God, don't let believers believe that lie from the enemy that if we really sell out to Jesus, we're, we're going we're gonna to have to give up so much and life is going to become so hard. And that's a lie from the enemy. I pray for lukewarm Christians today.
And then I pray for that person who doesn't know you yet. Because what they need to understand is every time they see a video like this, every time they hear a sermon like they've heard this morning, every time they hear a song like the choir sung today and music like the, the, the praise team led us in today, every time they hear it and reject you, their heart gets harder. And it's easier for them to reject you the next time and the next time. And all of a sudden, their heart is hard shell. There's this hard shell around their heart because they've rejected the prompting of the Holy Spirit so many times. Now they can, they can hear songs that used to bring tears, but they don't bring tears anymore. They can hear messages and sermons that, that used to cause them to weep because they were under conviction. And they won't weep anymore because their heart has gotten so hard. And I stand here today, a preacher of the gospel, and I want warn them about that. I warn those who have not yet believed, don't let your hearts get so hard that the word of God doesn't touch you anymore. We're going to pray together a prayer. I would ask all of you to join me in this prayer. The first prayer we're going to go through is a prayer for those who haven't yet received Jesus. Right there in your chair, right there where you are, with your head bowed sincerely, talk to God and let's receive Him today. No more running from Him, no more excuses. Right there where you are in that seat, open your heart to Jesus on this Sunday morning as we pray together this prayer. Everybody together out loud. Dear God, I've heard your word. I understand that you sent Jesus to die on a cross in my place. They buried him. He rose from the dead so that I could have life and live free. I accept the price Jesus paid for my sin. I accept his suffering. I accept his death. For my sin. Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, victorious over the grave, come into my life, come into my heart. I believe on you today, and I receive you as my Savior this day. The rest of my life, I want to live for you. I want to grow. I want to serve. Today, Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. Now, I want those of you who have accepted Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I am your child. I pray today that you place in me a hunger, a thirst, a deep conviction to be a better child of the King. Again, God, create a thirst as I would thirst for water. On a hot day, may I thirst for your word. May I hunger to pray. Turn my heart away from this world and unto you so that my focus 
will be you in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, first of all, if you accepted Christ as your Savior today, will you give me a little testimony and just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I accepted Christ today, Pastor. Just slip your hand up. I see you. God bless you. Now, those of you who are Christians in that second prayer, you meant business when you said it. You meant business when you said it, and some things are going to change in your life beginning today, and you're going to start doing some things you haven't been doing, and you're going to let go of some things that have creeped into your life, and you're going to serve God with a greater intensity. Will you testify and say, I make that commitment today? Just lift your hand up and put it right back down. Beautiful, beautiful. Everyone look at me. Listen. If there's ever been a time we're going to get serious about serving God, it's now. It's now. Thank God for his presence today. Thank God for his word. Amen. Amen. You feel like you've been to church? Amen. I want you to feel like you've been to church. You know, I, I, don't, want you, I don't want you guys always leaving smiling. I want you to leave sometimes going, man, i got to get my stuff together. I want you going out the door like that. Because if you're not going out the door like that, I'm not doing my job. Sometimes, see, I wait till all y'all leave, then I walk out going, I got to get my stuff together too, you know? Because I'm just like you guys. I battle just like you do. Let, let's, let's serve God with intensity. Let's serve God with, with extreme prejudice against the enemy. Let's serve God intentionally. Let's serve God with purpose. Let's get up every morning and have a plan. Let's have a plan of what we're going to do that day to, to be ambassadors of Christ that day. You say, what about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Just get up every day and go, what am I going to do today to be a representative of Jesus in this world? Loving, tender, serving, not going out with some harsh aura about you. I'm a child of God. You, you, a child of God wears a towel around their waist. They wash feet. Y'all with me on that? Jesus put a towel around his waist and served the very people he created. Get up every morning, put that towel on. Don't really put one on, you'll look weird. But I'm just saying, spiritually, put that towel on and say, God, help me, help me demonstrate your love to the world today. Amen, amen. Guys, on your way out, first-time guests, pick up your gift. Listen now, we have packets of information. If you are one who raised your hand that you accepted the Lord, right over here to the right, we have some information you need to pick up. Maybe you're witnessing to somebody or you've got somebody who's asking you some questions about Jesus. You pick up one of those packets and take it to them. There's some information in there about uh, a CD they can listen to about who God is and what it means to be a Christian. And there's a Bible in there and you pick up one of those and give it to your friends. We want to get the light out, get the gospel out. You know why I want to do that? Because I know my king's coming soon. My king is coming soon. And let's get the word out. Thanks for letting me go long today. I love you guys. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today.